one of the biggest pushes I got was at eight years old. I was a musician. I wanted to get an electric guitar and I asked my dad and his response to an eight year old was great. Get a fucking job. Welcome to 20 minute leaders. Just sit back, relax and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. 20 minute leaders is a proud supporter of Make-A-Wish Israel and tech to peace and is in proud collaboration with Secret Chord Ventures, J-Ventures, Riverside FM, Fusion VC, Birthright Excel, J-Impact, Leap, Google for Startups, and Hippo, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Welcome to 20-Minute Leaders. I am with Eric Huberman, the CEO and founder who launched Hawk Media in 2014. Now valued at over $100 million, Hawk Media is the fastest growing marketing consultancy agency in the United States. Prior to its launch, Eric successfully founded, grew, and sold two e-commerce companies by the age of 26. He has since continued to strategically expand his business portfolio inclusive of a handful of company acquisitions, Hawk Ventures, which raised $25 million in its second fund, and most recently, Hawk Z, an agency offering brands the tools needed to tap into Generation Z. As a serial entrepreneur and marketing expert, Eric has been recognized by his industry peers through honors and awards, including Forbes Magazine's 30 Under 30, CSQ's 40 Under 40, and Inc. Magazine's Top 25 Marketing Influencers. I'm really excited to, to have you here and spend these 20 minutes getting to know you, your, your story, your entrepreneurial story, Hawk Media, now also with the Venture Arm. Um, I, I'm excited to, to unfold a little bit about you know, the, the foundation for it, what it represents today, how you're continuing to grow it and position it as a sustainable business and something that you are personally, obviously very proud of and, and it's part of your life. So, so Eric, tell me first a little bit about yourself, you know, a little bit of background and, you know, you as an entrepreneur, what, what does that mean to you? Yeah. You know, like me as an entrepreneur, my grandfather was an entrepreneur and my dad was an entrepreneur. So like I grew up just thinking that's what you did, like that you could go get a job right. to learn something and people could work for other people, but that it was always an option. And I just assumed that because that's what I came from, like, that's what I do is run a business. And I grew up wanting to be yeah. a musician, but quickly learned that uh, understanding business was a good thing for musicians. It's a lot well, longer story, but it was a cool lesson. And so I just always had an interest in like from six years old, I was trying to make money. Uh, my dad did a good job of like, he basically taught me the idea of saving up to get the next dollar bill, meaning like, I'm going to save all my money so I can afford a $5 bill. And then I'm going to save more so I can afford a $10 bill then a 20, then a 50, then a hundred. And it was like this goal for me that it was just intrinsic value of making money. And, um, something sat, you know, really stuck with me that at a young age that then I was always looking for ways to make money and build things. And uh, I think one of the biggest pushes I got was at eight years old, I as a musician, I wanted to get an electric guitar. And I asked my dad and his response to an eight year old was great, get a fucking job. I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, that's an I'm interesting, good, that's an interesting response to an like, eight year old. Yeah, it is. But the funny thing is, like, I didn't take it like every adult would hear it, which is like, are you nuts? What did you just say that to an eight year old? As an eight year old, I was like, all right, I'll go get a job. Like, I didn't know any different. My dad told me to get a job. I'm going to go figure it out. So I started selling lemonade. I sold flowers. And then I fell into buying and selling Beanie Babies when I was at the peak, basically, and I, or actually before the peak. So I got into it. And as an eight-year-old, I ended up making a few thousand bucks buying and selling Beanie Babies. 
and sold them on, you know, at trade shows and blah, blah, blah. And like figure that business out of like what I thought would people would like and how I could hype up the collectibles and make that money. So I bought my guitar. I bought a BMX bike and I saved some money for a car, guitar, or a car later on. I had a few thousand sitting in my bank account. And this was how it started is like I that was like making money in order to afford something. But it also made me realize that I kind of like the wheeling and dealing and it got me over any kind of inhibitions about like doing deals. And so from that point on, there was always something I was trying to do, some business I was trying to start. And I always just had a fascination with it without really consciously saying I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like up until I was really 17, I didn't think of myself as pursuing like owning a business. I like I had tried to start little things, but it was always like I tried to start an online music company uh, to like buy and sell or sell music equipment. This is like 98, I think. Wow. Because I just thought that it'd be fun to work in that field. And also I would get good retail deals with all the music equipment companies that then I could buy my stuff cheaper. So that's how I was thinking about this. But then um, going through high school, I realized I wasn't going to be a musician when I got older. I wasn't that good. And so I pivoted to wanting to be in the music business. And then around 17 was when I went, I don't really need to go to music business. I can just be in business and enjoy playing music. And that's when I started looking at starting other businesses. I started learning from my, my dad was in real estate and in the waste business. I'd actually went and worked with one of his senior executives on that handled all the management of the properties to learn about how they, how they managed money, how they looked at properties, how they looked at returns and that kind of thing. And so that helped. And then I went to college and did a whole bunch of different things and then came out in 2008, went into real estate because I'd grown an affinity for it. And I started a week before Lehman Brothers collapsed, decided that wasn't probably going to be my future. I made $350 my first year out of college. And so that's when I started building online companies and went off that way and built three, sold wow. two. And that brings us to about nine years ago when I started building Hawk Media. The world of media, how did that, how did that come about for you? Yeah, I mean, it started with me making fun of marketing majors in high school, or sorry, in college. I'm <laughs> like, what do you do? Like, drop pictures? Like, never took it seriously. But then I, uh, I built my own online companies and realized that, like, operationally, they were always pretty easy to run. I ran a music company, then a t-shirt subscription site, then a women's activewear brand. And, like, making t-shirts or making women's activewear wasn't that difficult. There was a very clear solution to it. But the opportunity cost in marketing of doing it right or wrong is insane. If you do a really good job, the world's your oyster if you miss. Like, and it's a completely sliding scale that never ends. So I, be owning these businesses, I paid a lot of attention to marketing. And so when I sold the last one and had success in it, I started helping other people figure this stuff out because I realized how hard it was. And through doing that, I, uh, through helping them, I realized, oh, wow, this whole ecosystem's broken. Most agencies suck. The few that are good are really hard to work with. It's impossible to find good talent in-house. Like, there's got to be a better way. So I built a small little SWAT team for my companies that I was advising for, each with their own expertise, like a Facebook marketer, an email marketer, mm. web designer, and just said, hey, a la carte, month to month, we're going to be the best at what we do, but really easy to work with. And that's literally been the, you know, sort of mission since is we articulate it as accessibility to great marketing. Again, let's be the best at what we do, but really easy to work with, nimble, flexible, innovative, et cetera. So that's, that's what we, how we built. And so fast forward, it's been eight and a half years. We're 200 and something full-time people run marketing wow. actively 600 rents right now, manage about a wow. billion dollars in advertising spend. Uh, we have a $50 million venture fund. We're on our second fund. We have 
our financing arm that's doing tens of millions of dollars of working capital loans for our clients. And we recently, six weeks ago, launched our AI tool that within six weeks, we have 2,000 paid users and it's just off to the races. So built a whole ecosystem around this that now it's been, yeah, really fun, really powerful. And it's all bootstrapped. We haven't raised any money. That's just unbelievable. Okay, so I have to, I have to you know, go back as an entrepreneur and, and figure out this. Obviously, you know, it's, it's not just that you're starting you know, multiple companies and then, and then a media company, but it sounds like within this media company, you're also continuing to start newer companies within this company and continue yeah. to grow into different regions. You know, tell me a little bit about this mindset. You know, this is, it's not, it's no, not yeah. trivial. What, what's, what's happening here? I saw a chart a long time ago that always stuck with me, which is, you know, revenue curves, I think it might be backwards here, but they kind of go up steep and then they flatten out. So lines of business, individual businesses, this is how the revenue usually looks. You can't grow this whole hockey stick thing happens maybe in the first couple of years, but then it kind of goes like this and then, you know, levels out, levels out, levels out. And you can't on an individual business line see this all, all you know, forever. And so right. someone, I forgot when I learned that, but someone taught me that. And what the idea of wanting a great, if you want an overall organization to continue to grow exponentially, you have to stack those. So as they trail off, you add a new line of business and that shot shoots up and then trails off and that shoots up and then trails off. And so you keep stacking innovation. Give Apple, like Apple started with, you know, desktop computers, but iPhone has been that innovation for now. And the next thing, I don't know, cars, whatever it is, they're going to launch advertising, et cetera. You have to, as a business, keep adding revenue streams that have a chance for hyper growth because your core business, the chances of it continuing hyper growth forever is slim to none. It doesn't happen, you know? And so same reason big businesses make acquisitions of smaller businesses is if you take Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, like the product is not going to have hyper growth. They've distributed it all around the world. They're it's done. So for them to grow, they grab smaller businesses, get them into their distribution and boom, you now have twice as much product on that shelf twice as much revenue. So same thing with us. It goes with just individual services. So like right now, just being transparent, we're talking about adding connected TV to our services. We uh, we sunsetted our production team and we're going to grow a new one and rebuild our production capabilities. We are looking at several. Uh, and so in even just the service offerings, what are other things that our clients want that we could be offering that we can do well? So it doesn't hurt us, but it just helps and we can be a more focused. And that's how we built out most of our services. You know, like we didn't have affiliate marketing. We started with a partner. We started offering affiliate marketing with this partner. And all of a sudden we became most of their business and it was working really well. And we bought that agency and now we have a huge affiliate team. So it's things like that that we're always looking. On top of that, it's just by nature fun to look at, okay, what else could I be doing with this platform? So when the venture fund really came first in that stack, it was like, oh, we have all these companies we have full data on. We know how they're working. We have we get access to every deal we could ever want. Maybe Jeez. I can start angel investing. And my first angel investment became a multi-billion dollar company in a few years. And I was one of their first investors. I was like, shit. Like, I mean, I knew they were going to be successful. That it ended up being complete outlier, but it also encouraged me to keep going. After seven deals, we had an average 11x return. And I was like, that's absurdly powerful. We should do more of this, but I can't afford to just do it myself. We raised the fund. That's one. Same thing happened with working capital. We had tons of clients that we'd grow really fast. And the problem with hyper growth is you end up a lot of times cash constrained because you can't keep up. Well, if we're doubling, let's say we're making you 10 times your money on your advertising, but you don't have enough cash to keep going. What if I gave you a 7% loan 
well, I'm doubling your money, or sorry, 10xing your money. Here's 7%, like God forbid, 7% when you're already 10xing your money, fine. Sure. And so we were Obviously. able to find indicate loans, get that done, and now we can grow companies even faster. And then the tool, the AI tool, was really a function of what do I think is going to disrupt the marketing industry overall? And it was the idea of somewhere someone's going to build something that can tap in all your marketing channels, monitor them in real time, benchmark you against your industry, and then provide insight on where you need to actually be focusing on your marketing efforts and take away that forest from the trees problem. And then eventually when AI gets to the point, it'll actually just start making fixes itself. So it's like, okay, but I have to start from square one. I have to build the monitoring, then the benchmarking, then the insights, then the AI. So we started building that. And I started with the data piece seven years ago, finally got the uh, platform piece. We acquired a software company in February, implemented the two, and now we have the benchmarking tool and hence why it grew so fast. It's like every marketer needs this. We made it you know, cost effective and here we are. So these are all things that it's like, we need this. This is where the industry is going and let's keep you know, keep up with that. Where, where's all this energy coming from? I mean, I'm just feeling the, the crazy entrepreneurial energy that you're presenting here as you're talking about the different ventures. And I, and I, and I can, I'm noticing it because I, I, I can see, can see myself in a lot of this. Yeah. Where, where is all this coming from? I learned a lot about it this year. So it's fun, fun timing because I haven't talked about this. So like the beginning of this year, we dealt with a ton of headwinds in the business and I lost a lot of that energy. Like we had internal people really screwing up stuff, you know, some lying going on, some really almost criminal stuff happened in the business that hurt us for a few months and all that energy went away. And so the truth is that energy comes from positive reinforcement. That energy comes from, I work my ass off and everything that I put into this business, I get out that I see the success, I see the growth, I see the progress, I see that when we put it, when I put my mind to something, it works, and it just makes me want to do more of it. Because if I spend a week in New York City grinding and meeting people and working, I come away with a ton of you know new customers and new progress and new ideas, that feedback cycle makes it really easy to keep going. So like, I don't blame the lack of it with some people that don't get that same outcome. Like if you're not in a job that has a lot of upside to working harder, yeah, I, I understand why you wouldn't want to work that hard. And so that to me is like a big part is like, and I'm not saying mo just monetarily, like making money is great, but thankfully I'm past the point of needing to like pay my bills. It's more about like, I see the growth. I see the success of our clients. I see like this thing that we're growing and that continues to be right to onboard, you know, bigger and bigger companies, smart people. Like one of the biggest rewarding things is to spend years building this tool call some of the biggest marketers in the world and biggest private equity funds in the world, have them vet it and vet the data and go, this is incredible. Like I, as much as I'm confident, I was still like, really? <laughs> so that's where you get, I get the energy is once you do it and you put all that work in and then you get that feedback, it's like, okay, awesome. Let's keep going. So is it about the media market? Is it about the, the you know specific market, or is it about the entrepreneurial journey for you? I mean, if you had to distill sort of oh, yeah. what makes entrepreneurial, you, yeah, yeah, hands down. I, I like marketing. The, the reason I'm in marketing is because it turns out I have a knack for it. So like the combination Jeez. of what you're good at and what you like to do is really important. But you know, if it was building it, like I could be in private equity. I, I my wife's in it, so I have a lot of like now I have a lot of insight into it. I'm like, this is a fun business. Like. I love the idea of buying companies, helping grow and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's great too. I could be in SaaS. I have a SaaS business now. I like the idea of this, but my focus is, gr I love growing things. And so my focus would always be growth, which marketing goes hand in hand with that. I also like, I run our sales team. You know, like I, I'm very hands-on with sales, with partnerships, with channel partnerships, with client success. Like 
I love that aspect of it. So it's not just marketing. It's just marketing is a big part of it. Right. And so if you're looking at your own, your own journey, sort of your vision for yourself, do you, do you see yourself ever not being an entrepreneur? I mean, is that something that, that you're even thinking about? Is this a, what I is this for you? There might, I think there might come a point at some point where the investing side will start to overtake, but I think I'll hold like, Someone made a point to me the other day because I was like, I like operating, I like running businesses. And they said, yeah, but as an investor, I can invest and, you know, be hands on with the company, but then go home and go to sleep at night. And it's like, right. bit, I've been running this, yeah. been running businesses for a long time, uh, not that long, but long enough that it's like, yeah, I think, you know, at a later point in my life where the energy is not as easy to come by. I could see, you know, my 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever that is. I doubt that I'm going to want to be grinding every day. But, uh, but that also could look different. That could look like me chairman of my own company and have a CEO. That could be, there's a lot of ways to get there. But, uh, but yeah, I could see wanting to not like wake up every morning and hit the ground running. But I don't know. And so if you're looking at, if you're looking at the, the different, you know, entrepreneurial journeys that you've had until now, and you're trying to sort of paint the picture and draw the connect the dot between these, these points and, and given what we just talked about your, you know, the, this idea of what, of what entrepreneurship means to you. How do you, how do you see, you know, what, what are different things that you've observed that you learned about yourself that aren't, that aren't necessarily trivial? Yeah. Um, I've learned that the, the, probably the toughest lesson I've learned is as an entrepreneur, this is a cliche, but no one really comprehends it. And that's my view of it. Cause I've heard it a hundred times too. Like no one's going to care as much as you do as a business owner entrepreneur. Of course, that's a given. Of course, no one's going to care as much as you do. That being said, if the company struggles or fails, as an employee, your worst case scenario is you got to go get another job. And generally, right. given outside of like the depth of a recession, if you're a talented person, you're probably going to get a job. So that is the worst case scenario is I have to go find a new job. For an entrepreneur, you lose everything. It's your baby. It's your livelihood. And it's not like, you don't just get, get a new job. You never had a job. You had a business. So it's such a different level of pressure. Keep it going. That is, when you think about it that way, it's obvious that as an entrepreneur, you're always going to have to grind more to keep your business going. Yes, you can put people in great places and you can put, have great executives that are smart and hardworking. But at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, if the executive doesn't see their upside sticking with you outweighs just joining a different company and using your company on their resume they're going to start looking. And that's, and that's not a bad thing. I don't think that that's, that they're to blame or that's bad people. It's just human nature. And like people need to look out for what's best for them. So that has been one of the tougher or, but also most important realizations is that doesn't mean like, again, that people are bad. It's just like, understand that like the dream of like having a team of people that just run your business for you that I hear about this, like, you know, paradise situation from entrepreneurs all the time doesn't exist. And that's okay, because when you come to terms with that, you know, like, it is your job to run your business, it is your job to drive, and that doesn't go away. So just be clear on that. That has been an important lesson for me. But that lesson I love that. Almost, almost crushed my business, and thankfully I learned it fast enough. <laughs> I love that. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of responsibility that you're taking. And so it's a big, uh, big toll, it's a big decision that you're making, and it sounds it's sort of like a once you're committing to that decision, you have to understand, you know, what you're really committing to. 
One, two, your downside as an entrepreneur is a lot higher than the downside of an individual employee. Assuming you're, I mean, you can just go get a job too, I guess, but even winding down a business is expensive. So yeah, keeping, keeping your eye on everything and making sure you're the one driving things is generally how you're going to have to run a business. Completely. Eric, I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing these uh, 20 minutes with me. Uh, it sounds like an awesome journey that you've had. It sounds like, hey, sort of, you know, really do embody this, the true spirit of what entrepreneurship is about. And I can relate to that quite a bit. And so I really thank you for coming here uh, and enjoy your time in New York and, uh, and, and really congrats on all the amazing milestones and achievements. It's uh, really, really phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me.